0: This is the 2448 Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Matt Broom, your friendly firefighting financial planner, and this is the 2448 Podcast. This show focuses on improving your finances, your side hustles, and moving the fire service forward through honest discussion. Let's get going. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the 2448 podcast. My name is Matthew Broom. Today we are focused on making ends meet. And we're going to continue our discussion of workplace retirement plans today. And we're moving on to the 457B deferred compensation plan. Last week we discussed the 401A money purchase pension plan. Today we'll discuss this deferred compensation. These are the two retirement plans that we have access to at my fire department, and I'm actually a big fan of their plan. And I think if you use these two plans in conjunction with each other, you can attain financial freedom. So we're going to jump in, discuss it. Hopefully you gain a little better understanding of how the plan works. If you do have any questions about the 457B or the 401A or anything at all, feel free to reach out to me at Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W at forward, as in moving forward, focusfp.com. That's Matthew at com. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Your options for retirement savings, well, they can get pretty confusing quickly. You got 401Ks, you got 457Bs, IRAs. Are they Roth? Are they not? What does it all mean? Is it tax-free or tax-deferred? It's really no wonder that folks put off retirement investing. It kind of feels like we maybe should have learned some of this in school. Well, we didn't, but that doesn't mean you're not responsible for learning it now. So school is in session. Let's gain a better understanding of today's topic The 457B Deferred Compensation Plan. Of all the retirement vehicles out there, a deferred compensation plan, well, it really may be the most advantageous. advantageous. It gives you the ability to supercharge your retirement savings on a tax-deferred basis while avoiding penalties for early withdrawals, which we'll get into a little bit later. But for now, let's just discuss... What is a 457B deferred compensation plan? Well, it's actually similar to the more widely known 401k plan, which I will actually include a chart in the show notes that more definitively show the differences between the two, if you're interested. You're probably not, but you might be. But they're very much alike. But the 457B plan is actually only offered to certain types of organizations. So the organizations that can actually sponsor a 457 plan are, well, they're either a state, political subdivision of a state, any agency or instrumentality of a state, basically some sort of governmental organization, or they are any other organization exempt from tax other than a government unit. So maybe like a nonprofit hospital, those types of things. So what do you have to do to be eligible to participate within a 457 b plan? Well, obviously you have to work for one of these organizations that qualifies to sponsor one, but within my organization, if you're a benefits eligible employee, you are eligible to enroll in the deferred compensation plan at any time after your initial hire date. So within our adoption agreement, it defines eligible employees as any full-time employee any permanent part-time employee or any elected or appointed official. And it's important to note that you are not actually automatically enrolled in this plan. You have to elect to take part in it. So it is important to make sure that you do enroll for the 457 b plan. So an employee may elect to become a participant by executing a participation agreement to defer a portion of his or her compensation and filing it in good order with the administrator basically that just means all that paperwork you did in the first week of working here that was that crap you deferred you decided to defer a certain percentage of your income towards the 457b and they filed it for you and boom um That deferral will continue until it's either modified, meaning you change the amount you defer, disallowed or revoked, in accordance with the terms of the plan. So, like, maybe you cut ties with the organization, obviously your deferral is going to stop. So, within the 457B, our employer does not make any non-elective contributions. They actually contribute to our 401A, so... Your 457B, you are fully vested in because it's all your contributions. Uh, None of that is county money or whatever organization you work for. Uh, If they're not making contributions, it's all yours. Therefore, you are fully vested in it. But if you are working for the fire department that I work at, if you contribute at least 2.5% to your 457, they will contribute an additional 1% to your 401 a money purchase pension plan. So please, please do not forego that additional 1%. At a minimum, put that 2.5% into your 457 so the county will give you an additional 1% towards your 401 a Obviously that is specific to my fire department, but if you work for an entity that is doing something similar to that, don't leave the money on the table you want every percent you can get, so please contribute up to those matching limits at a minimum. Now as far as the actual 457B deferral limits, uh, I think this is what it says in the plan document here. The maximum amount of the annual deferral under the plan for any calendar year shall not exceed the lesser of, one, the applicable dollar amount, or two, the participant's includable compensation. Basically, that means uh, in 2020, the applicable dollar amount is $19,500. That is the maximum amount of the annual deferral under the plan for any calendar year. But if you don't have compensation that exceeds 19500 well, then it's just the participant's includable compensation. So you can defer up to $19,500 in year 2020 towards this 457B plan. Typically that goes up by about $500 every year, it's indexed for inflation, that kind of thing. Last year it was 19,000 in 2019, this year it's 19,500. They also have certain provisions in there for folks who are a little bit older, getting closer to retirement. The first one would be the age 50 catch up. So participants that have a- attained age 50 or older by the end of the calendar year, are permitted to elect an additional amount of deferral. That amount for 2020 is six thousand five hundred. So, if you were able to max out your 457 with the annual deferral, the nineteen thousand five hundred, and you are also fifty or older within the year, you can contribute a total of twenty six thousand if you take advantage of that age fifty catch up. So. That's pretty cool. That's really a lot of money. If you have the ability to put away $26,000 a year for your last few years working, that's fantastic. But actually even better than that is they have a clause in there for a special 457 catch-up contribution which cannot be used in conjunction with the age 50 catch-up but it actually allows a participant for three years prior to the normal retirement age which is specified in the plan which for our plan is age 55 with a minimum of 10 years of service, it actually allows a participant for three years prior to the normal retirement age to contribute the lesser of twice the annual limit or the basic annual limit plus the amount of the basic limit not used in prior years. So that's kind of complicated, but pretty much for most people it means that if you have the cash flow to do it, you could contribute up to twice the annual limit your three years prior to your normal retirement age. That means you could be socking back $39,000 in 2020 if you're within a few years of retirement. That is freaking awesome if you're able to do it. But I'm pretty certain that there's a lot of firefighters that are around that age with dual income earning households that could actually do it if they prioritized it. So it's important to take a look at your cash flow, do a budget, see how much you can get away with saving, prioritize it, and then execute. If you can put away 39000 in your last three years, you've already been contributing to this thing for, you know, 20 or 30 years, you are going to be sitting pretty nice. Moving on from there, uh, that's kind of your basic overview of the 457 plan as far as how much you can put into it. And I've had a lot of people ask me in the past about taking loans from the plan. Now, loans are permitted from the 457 plan. I typically do not suggest that you utilize a loan from your 457, which I will get into momentarily, but this is just the kind of rules about how that works. So basically you're limited to a minimum of a $1,000 loan or a max of $50,000 or 50% of your vested balance, whichever is less. So if you have, you know, $50,000 in there, you can only take out $25,000 in a loan. You may only have one outstanding loan at a time and you have to understand that they're a lot of costs actually involved with this implementation fees, origination fees, administration, administrative fees, da, 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 da. fees, fees, fees. That's how that crap goes. You're going to pay fees to take out a loan. So it's not like you're just getting your money. You got to pay some more money to get your money. So, one good reason not to take a loan. Anyways, the types of loans that you have the opportunity to take out is. There's really two. There's a general purpose loan, which has a term of one to five years. Interest rate is fixed, typically 2% over the prime rate, which is published in the Wall Street Journal on the first business day of the month. Uh, I think the prime rate for this week is 4.5%. So that would put you at about 6.5% for this uh, general purpose loan. then you also have a principal residence loan, which is a six to 15 year loan. Can only be used... This loan can only be used for the purchase of a primary residence, only. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is vacation property; it's primary residence. The rate for that is also two percent over the prime rate. So once again, you're looking at about six and a half percent. And I was actually wrong. Here we go. According to Bankrate.com, the prime rate for this week is four point seven five percent. So you're looking at six and three quarter percent on that money. Right now, that's always changing. Like I said, Wall Street Journal publishes these things. You can look it up. I think I found it on bankrate.com. Back to why I don't think you should take a loan from that account, though. So you got to keep in mind the funds you're borrowing were contributed to this account on a pre tax basis, most likely. But you're going to be paying yourself back with after tax money. So if you are in the twenty four percent tax bracket, let's say every dollar you earn, you're only taking home seventy six cents. The rest goes to income tax. Well, then you gotta pretty much work a quarter harder to get your money back in there. So you're not. It's not dollar for dollar deal there. And you also have opportunity costs of not being invested. Uh, you say the market returns ten percent, and you were, uh, you know, that's your real. Uh, rate of return because you missed out on what your, your real interest rate was, 10%. That's what you lost. That's what you missed out on. That's pretty much what you had to pay for taking that money out. That was money foregone. That was your opportunity cost of not being invested. You also have to remember that if you default, the loan is converted to a withdrawal. So you will owe income taxes on that money. And also, if you part ways, so like you leave the department... Your loan is going to become due. And if you don't pay it within a certain time frame, I think it's like 60 days maybe, I'm not sure on that, it is going to be deemed a withdrawal. Thus, you'll owe taxes. So, I don't think it's a good idea to take a loan from your workplace retirement plans. That is a very personal situation though, so if you need help with that, reach out to somebody and uh, think through that scenario with enough thought, you can normally find a way out of doing that. And especially if it's just a want, don't take a loan from your retirement to go buy a new rifle, do a budget, set money aside to go do something like that. Moving on. This is where we kind of get into the cool part of the 457B plan. So your normal retirement plans, typically you have to, in order to avoid paying a penalty on your money, you have to separate from service after age 55 or wait until after age 59 and a half, unless you're taking separate but equal periodic payments and some other things or some weird things in there you can get around paying penalties. But typically it's separate for service after 55 for like a 401k or basically 59 and a half if we're talking about an IRA, something like that. And if you withdraw before that, you got to pay your taxes and your penalties, which the penalty is ten percent, tax rate is whatever your ordinary income tax rate is. So it's a pretty good hit. But with the four hundred and fifty-seven B, if you plan to retire early by normal standards, say before fifty-nine or before fifty-five or whatever, you can receive distributions from your four hundred and fifty-seven B without any penalties. You'll have to pay federal income tax, but the 10% penalty that is common with most tax-deferred accounts is not applicable. This gives you the opportunity to draw from your 457, if you need to, and allow your other retirement savings to continue to grow. Now, most people at that age aren't going to retire and need to draw on that account. They're probably going to retire from the fire department and go do something else. Therefore, they can Probably let that money continue to grow, but that's why it might just make a really nice retirement emergency fund for a little while because you can get at that money without having to pay any penalty for it. You'll just have to pay taxes on the distribution if you're using a, a pre-tax account. Other types of distributions that are allowed within the, within our 457b at my particular department is an unforeseeable emergency distribution. If the participant has an unforeseeable emergency before retirement or severance from employment, they may elect to receive lump sum distribution of a certain amount. Now this has to be some sort of severe financial hardship resulting from illness or accident loss lost property, whatever, something like that, a severe financial hardship. If you can avoid doing that, you should. And that's why it is so important to have a solid emergency fund saved. The kind of rule of thumb thumb is three to six months of your expenses. Now if you have that set aside, the odds of you having to take an unforeseeable emergency distribution are pretty low. So prioritize saving that emergency fund. And you can't think of that emergency fund as just cash sitting on the sidelines. You know, um, you can't think of the opportunity cost involved in that cash. That cash sitting on the sidelines is an insurance policy against chaos. Because eventually Murphy shows up and something bad happens and you're going to need that money. And if you can avoid taking an unforeseeable emergency distribution, that's better for your retirement uh, funds to continue to grow. So just keep that in mind. Have a solid emergency fund so you can avoid having to withdraw on these types of accounts. So there's a little caveat to the early distributions uh, prior to age 59 and a half. The caveat is that if you're doing Roth contributions, some of these key rules do change. So you can withdraw on the money early, but the growth on the withdrawals prior to age 59 and a half is taxed. So that actually kind of takes away the biggest benefit of those Roth contributions, which is you only pay taxes on your contributions when you make them then all the growth on that money is tax-free in retirement when you withdraw it. So if you make a withdrawal prior to age 59 and a half, whatever, you can withdraw contributions, your own contributions, but if you withdraw some of the growth, then you will be taxed on that money. Also, unlike Roth IRAs, if your assets remain in the 457 in a uh, Roth form, you will have to take required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half or 72. I'm not sure if the Roth changed with the Secure Act, probably age 72, Uh, but unlike a Roth IRA, you don't have to take required minimum distributions with a Roth 457, you do. But you can avoid that by rolling your Roth 457 assets into a Roth IRA prior to that age limit, and you'll avoid the required minimum distributions. The pre-tax 457 will also have required minimum distribution starting at age 72, and you're not going to be able to really get around that. You can, uh, once you get beyond the benefit of the withdrawal with no uh, penalty age, so after age 59 and a half, you can maybe start to do some systematic, systematic uh Roth conversions, which can avoid the required minimum distributions, but if you hit age 72 and you still have the money in the pre-tax 457, you're going to have to start taking required minimum distributions as mandated by the IRS. So that pretty much wraps up everything I have to say about just the overview of the 457 plan. Some of the key takeaways are the flexibility of the withdrawals in retirement. If you separate from service and you're prior to age 59 and a half, you can withdraw that money penalty free. Um, you can also, if you're in your last few years of employment, you have a great opportunity to double your contributions. Something else that I did not mention in here also is that the typically your if you have access to multiple workplace retirement plans from separate employers say you work full time for two employers you have access to a 401k at one employer and a 401k at the other well you only have one contribution limit you're still limited to the $19,500 that you're limited to in 2020 whereas with a 457 deferred compensation plan you have two limits so A lot of firefighters work two jobs, which doing so may qualify them for retirement benefits through their other employer. Well, those contributions don't stack. They have separate limits. So if you have access to multiple plans, you could, in theory, max out both of them for a total of like $36,000 a year and not face any penalties for over contributions or anything. So that's pretty cool too. If you have access to multiple plans like that, certainly something to consider. That being said, I hope you found this information helpful. If you have any questions about it, please reach out to me. I'm more than happy to answer any questions you have. That's what I'm hoping to do. Uh, I know last week was the overview of the 401A. This week we did the overview of the 457B. Next week, I haven't exactly figured out how I want to do this, but I want to start moving into um, some more tactical topics, like how to think about selecting investments and uh, the how you should be thinking about the amounts you should be investing and how to come up with an investment plan to, to uh, accomplish your financial goals. Um, I want to answer some of your questions around self-directed brokerage accounts, whether you should let Voya manage your money or whether you should maybe do one of those self-directed brokerage accounts. Should you use a target date fund? Should you select your own funds? All those types of things that are much, much more tactical. So we will be getting into that over the coming weeks. Like I said, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns. Matthew at forwardfocusfp.com Have a good day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the 2448 podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share the show however and wherever you see fit. If you have any suggestions, questions, or if you're interested in coming on as a podcast guest, please go to the Facebook page. There's a Google form pinned at the top. Fill it out, and I look forward to hearing from y'all. I hope you enjoyed the music. They are some friends of mine that make up the band All The Locals, and they were generous enough to let me use their music for the show. So check them out. They flip and rock. But until next time, y'all stay safe. Cheers.